Will you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, please? Book of Colossians chapter 1. And let's just begin reading at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under the heaven whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Let's pray, Father. Will you now take your word and wing it to every heart? Will you bless every person, every man, woman, boy, or girl for those families that are mourning and aren't with us tonight also? We ask you that you would comfort them. For those who are sick and unable to be here, would you meet them at the point of their need? And for those who have taken the opportunity, Lord, of a a weekend away at this holiday time, we ask you to bless them and encourage them, bring them back refreshed and safe to us. But for those of us that are here, Lord, we pray that your word, which is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, would encourage your people and cut away, uh, Lord, the sin which you hate from the soul which you love. And also, Father, we pray that your name would be glorified, your Son would be exalted. Holy Spirit, have your way in this house and among this congregation tonight to glorify the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and we ask them for his glory. Amen. Last week we looked briefly, and we'll not go through it all again, but last week we looked at how Paul says in our reading in verse 23, which is the thrust again also of tonight. Paul says, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not, notice, moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. If you remember, the Colossian heresy was that men were attacking the person, the beautiful person of the Son of God. They were attacking the beautiful person of our Lord Jesus Christ. They were coming in and saying all manner of evil against him, having time to go through the things. And I'll mention some briefly as we go through this message, but last week we mentioned them and a greater variety, but they were coming and some were saying he was never man. Some saying he was never God. Some were saying that his flesh was evil and never resurrected. And it was never important to believe in a resurrection. Yet, brothers and sisters, the resurrection from the dead of our Lord Jesus Christ is not only a great and a wonderful miracle, not only on the cross did God manifest his love for us, but at the resurrection of his Son, the Father magnified his love toward us. Let us see that he raised him for us for our justification. And those people who would come into the church of Colossae and to the Colossian believers, they were trying to turn them away onto traditions. They were trying to turn them away back even to Judaism. The book of Hebrews is written for the same reason. They were trying to turn them back to ritual and ceremony. They were trying to denounce the person of Christ. That's why we looked more last week, and we will again mention it this week, why Paul, even in our reading in verse 19, says, For it pleased the Father that in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his only begotten Son, his one and unique Son who walked this earth, he says, For it pleased the Father 
that in him should all fullness dwell. We also looked at how Paul says in Second Colossians chapter 9, for in him dwelleth, notice, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, in him is the fullness of deity. He's not just a demigod or a semi-god. He is the fullness of deity. Then to others, they talk about his humanity. And of course, Paul takes the person of Christ to the Colossian church, and he elevates the person of the Son of God. And he elevates him, showing that he's not just a prophet, that he's not just some guru, spiritual guru, that he's not just some uh, scriptural workman, that he is the one and only unique son of his Father, that he is deity incarnate, manifest in flesh. Turn with me, please, if you will, to Philippians, the letter beforehand, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. Paul has told those at Colossae, and he has warned him to move not away, listen, from the hope of the gospel which you heard. The hope I've preached to you, he says, of Christ. The hope I've preached to you of his virgin birth. The hope I've preached to you of his sinless life. The hope that I've preached to you, the person of Christ, of his miraculous ministry, of his atoning death, of his burial and his bodily resurrection, of his ascension into heaven, his glorification and his high priestly ministry, the man in the glory who is praying for us, the man in the glory who is interceding at the right hand of God. He says, do not move away from this hope because it's only in Christ and in the hope of Christ that you and I have any hope of glory. So in the Philippian letter, Paul brings something out we need to mark here. Chapter 3, and let's just turn to verse 3 for time's sake. Notice what it says. Paul says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. Notice Paul saying, We are the circumcision. Paul was saying, I have been circumcised under the old covenant, but now I'm circumcised in the Spirit. But now I have come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But now I am filled with his spirit and I am washed by faith in his blood. So we worship in spirit. In other words, we don't go to Jerusalem nor to the mountains. We worship in the heart. We worship in spirit. He says, for we are the circumcision which worship in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have, note this, no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul is saying, if you're saying you can be saved, if you're saying you can be born again, if you're saying you can be forgiven, if you're saying you're on your road to heaven because of your flesh, because of your upbringing, because of what you think, because of what your parents have told you, because of a, a certain lifestyle, because you're a nice person, because you uh, go to the temple or you sit in the synagogue or whatever it may be. He says, if you think that that qualifies you to go into God's kingdom, he says, then I, I even more than you, am qualified to go. And people may reel back there and say, why, Paul, would you say such a thing? And Paul gives us the answer. He says, I more than you. If, if we could glory in who we are, if we could glory in our flesh, if we could glory in our religion, in our do-gooding, if we could glory in anything other than Christ, he says, I more. Notice what he says, verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, he said. But what things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Paul gives a litany of his Hebrew, Israelite, Jewish religion past. And he says, look, if I want to come to you with the things of the flesh, and if I want to come to you with things of man's religion, 
If I want to come to you and say, look at what I have to offer God, will I not be worthy of the kingdom, he says, and I can come with all of these things more than you, he said. So I deserve heaven more. You see, brothers and sisters, that's why we are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul will not be boasting in the kingdom of God. Peter will not be boasting in the kingdom of God. James and John, nor any of the apostles or disciples will be boasting in the kingdom of God. The believer in this room or whoever you may be around the world or myself, none of us will boast in the kingdom of God of anything we had or did or added to. All we will glory in is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I have more to boast in than you, yet all of these things I mention, he says, they are not able for me to attain into heaven, the kingdom of God. All things that were gained to me, he says, those things I count a loss for Christ. See the word gain. In the Greek, it's a, it's a plural word, and it really means gains. Gains. In other words, Paul says, well, you know, I'm, I'm an Israelite, and I'm a Hebrew. I'm off the tribe of Benjamin. I can do this, I can do that, and I can do the other thing. And he, let, he brings them all together and the gains that they were among other peoples and other nations and other men. And he looks at the gains of it and he says, yet it is not enough. Yet it is not enough to harm the Savior. Yet it is not enough that I may enter the kingdom. So the gains, he says, he puts it all together. Those things that were gained to me, he says, I count loss. For Christ. Notice what he says in verse 8. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. In verse 8, Paul says this. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Jesus, my Lord. In other words, he says, I am willing to lose everything to have fellowship with Christ. See, brothers and sisters, Paul isn't saying, I give all that up so Christ accepted me. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, Christ has accepted me, so I have not trusted in all of that. Big difference. People say, I'll get saved and I'll come to the Lord. But first of all, I need to put this in the order and that in the order. And I need to clean up my life. And when I clean up my life, then I'm handing it all to God. Look how good a person I am. Surely you want me now. I have something to tell you, friend. God wants you right now, just as you are. He wants you to turn from your sin and he wants you to come. And Paul says these things. I'm still an Israelite, but I'm saved. I'm still a Hebrew, but I'm saved. I'm no longer a Pharisee because that was the religious sect. But that's my lineage, he says, but I'm a saved one. I'm a saved Israelite. Notice this. He says the word gain is he wants to fellowship with him, to gain fellowship. Brother, can I ask you, is there something in your life that you're not handing over to God? Sister, that you're not surrendering to the Holy Spirit? And he's saying, give me this, give me that. And maybe you really love it. But I love this. Will you give it to me? But it's a big gain to me. Will you give it to me? Is there something in your life that you're not giving to God and God has been pointing and placing upon you Fellowship can be broken with Christ. That tangible, felt nearness of God can be broken. The walk, your salvation is never broken, but that walk can be broken. That knowing God in a personal fashion and manner as you walk with Christ. Listen, brother, would you expect someone to go and lie with an harlot? And say, but it's okay because God understands. Paul says, if you lie with someone and it's not your husband and it's not your wife, he says, then you're joining yourself and you're joining Christ in you with them. Or what about the man or the woman who are taking things into their body, which is destroying the temple of the Holy Spirit? 
the Lord says, he's in you and you're bringing me to where you're going. He says, we're one and you're bringing me to what you're doing. Is there something that God wants you to lay down tonight in order that your fellowship with him may be closer? Do you want gain fellowship? You know, people would say sometimes to me, I'm seeking the anointing, I'm seeking the anointing. Listen, brother, listen, sister. See, when you get saved, you got anointed. You know what you're seeking? You're seeking to move the rubbish out of the way that you'll be in that place. Hand it to him. Paul says, I'm willing to give up everything that I may come to closer walk with him. I know right now the Holy Spirit is speaking to probably every single heart, including my own. What about this? Many times the Lord has put his finger on my life. Will you give me it? But Lord, did you not give me that and I should enjoy it? Something better for you. Have something better for you. You know, full surrender in our hearts is where revival starts. I'll say it again, brother, sister. Full revival in our hearts is where revival starts. Don't expect revival to start out in the village of Donnacloney or down in the streets of Belfast. Don't expect revival to start unless it starts in you. Revival doesn't start in the lost. Revival starts in those who once knew Christ and the power of his fellowship anointing. Revival starts in you. And when we as an assembly are together in revived hearts and hearts that are surrendered to Christ, revival starts in the assembly. And when revival starts in the assembly, then revival can hit our land. Paul says, the things that I counted gain, when I put them to the gains of Christ, he says, Christ outweighs them all. You know, there's nothing you can... It seems for a while, it seems for a period and a time uh, that we are satiring ourselves with different things of the world and different pleasures and different sports or different whatever it may be. And we're running, we're chasing other things and, and God all the time stands to again say, saying in a way, a way where people saying, come to me. I have more for you than this life. I have more for you than that thing. I have more for you than the sins of this world. I have more for you than the desires of the flesh. And yet we hold them so dear and we count them gain. God says, give them to me. Do you not know you have the, the powers of heaven and all its glories they gain? And you're like Esau, you're selling your birthright for a pot of soup. I had two big giant bowls of stew today for my dinner. And when I first came around here, I thought, I'm not going to be able to breathe because I had four rounds of bread with it. Three biscuits, a cup of tea, and three glasses of water. I was like a poison pup. But see, just about now, I reckon I could squeeze a wee bit more in. What are you saying? This is what I'm saying. The world fills you full of everything else, but suddenly you find yourself empty and hungry again. And you have to go and eat more. You have to go and take more. You've got to go and drink more. But when you have Christ in the life, he is the fountain of living waters that never run dry. He's the one who brings you to, your ta- to the table of his banqueting that you may eat all the pleasures and the delicacies of him. And it's in this our hope is that when a man and a woman who are carrying things 
carrying weights and carrying burdens and carrying sins, and it weighs them down. They run to feed the flesh rather than set them down and run the race to Christ. Give it over to him, for it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Paul says, when I weigh all that I am and all the gains I have, as it were, in Christ in the other end of the scales, he says, Christ's gain outweighs it all. He says, I count them all but dung. I want to experience Christ. I want to experience him in such a way and such a knowledge. The word experience means to come together in a personal fashion. And people will say, I have never experienced the presence of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, I don't know why not. And I'm not trying to be insulting or hurting to you because whenever I get saved and as the Lord started emptying me, all I done was, Lord, if you're going to empty me and strip me bare, then what I want you to do is to fill me with you. And when we're filled with him, Nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. The experiences to be with Christ, the experiences of a walk with Him, a life with Him, to get up in the morning knowing our sins are forgiven, get up in the morning and put our legs upon that floor and know we're kingdom bound, to know there's no weight of the dark cloak that's been upon our backs from the days we've been born, to, to get up in the morning to know we are righteous and justified in His sight, to get up and to know that with an assurance and to know you're going to experience Christ sometime today. I wouldn't sell it for a pot of porridge or soup. I wouldn't sell it for the word. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-scarred hands than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this word affords today. What about you, brothers and sisters? What about you? For me, it's Christ. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Paul knows everything and all things, anything else, but knowing Christ is a false and an empty hope that all is invested in him, and so he comes off with, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's saying, listen, don't you listen. Yesterday we went through Belfast City Centre. Well, the, the women go shopping, and I walk up and down Royal Avenue or something, you know, and I have my phone in the phone me when they're ready, and I go into the old shop to see what they're at. And as I was walking up Royal Avenue, there were the Hare Krishnas out with their symbols, ding, 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 with books, and I walked on down a bit more, and there was a whiteboard there with about six or seven guys around it, and they were all Mormons. And I walked a little further, and there was a, uh, I think it was a, a girl, she must have been from Africa, she had that sort of an accent, preaching the gospel. I walked on around the corner, and there's another stand with two people with these wee magazines standing like this, the, the watchtower for the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was walking through, and I was saying, Lord, What's this all about? Brothers and sisters, the church has been so messed up in our nation. The church has been, been so watered down and liquidized from its solid form of Scripture. It doesn't even know what it stands for. In fact, it doesn't stand for anything. Christ and Christ alone. Bless that girl that was preaching. At least she was there doing it. Notice this. Paul says that all is invested in him. In Colossians 1 and 19, notice what he says. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. Then running into verse 20, and having made peace, through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, 
by him, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Notice how Paul has moved and replaced the people's hope. Notice how Paul has removed and placed the people's hope from on the, the things of the world, from on the teachings of this Colossian heresy, from on these, off these men, even like JWs, the Jehovah's Witnesses, or the Russellites, who would say that Christ's body was not resurrected from the dead, and he was not Almighty God, veiled, wrapped, clothed, and manifest in flesh. Or like the Mormon church who say, Lucifer, i.e. Satan and Jesus are brothers with Adam. They're all brothers. Don't tell you that when you're talking to them at the whiteboard. Notice this. He takes the people's minds and their eyes and their hearts off men like we have in our nation today. And he says there's only one. He takes our eyes off denomination. He takes our eyes off sacrament ceremony and ritual. He takes our eyes off societies and he places them on a person. He places them on Christ. Lose sight of him and you've lost everything. Brother, listen to me. If you lose sight of him, you've lost everything. You've lost your way. And sister, you listen. If you lose sight of him, you've lost everything. You've lost your way too. Won't you take your eyes and deviate from the narrow way, which is Christ himself and nothing else that will do. Once you've done that, you're on the wrong path. You don't need a two-hour Bible study to show you it in the Scripture. You know it. Oh, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? saith the Lord. Hey, I, the Lord, search the heart and I try the reins, he says. Oh, once a man and a woman take their eyes off Christ, they've taken their eyes off the jewel of heaven. They've taken their eyes off salvation itself. Here's a wee question for you. I'm good at asking you questions tonight. Where have you been putting your eyes recently? Where's your eyes been? On what has your eyes been? On whom has your eyes been? Paul says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, notice, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. Notice, it's always Christ himself. By him, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. He takes their hope, their false hope from Judaism and places it on Jesus from a worldly heart to a heavenly hope, from a ceremonial death to a living Christ, and from a ritualized religion to a relationship with a living God. He says, you're placing your mind on everything but the right one. In every place but on the right person. He brings them to Jesus. Can't emphasize it enough tonight, brother. Can't emphasize it enough tonight, sister. He brings them to Jesus. He reinstates and he reevaluates their heart and he shows them the Son of God. He says, now look at him. And him, he says, is the blood of his cross where you're found. Reconciliation is at the cross. That's in nowhere else and in nothing else. Here, He says that it's in him should all fullness dwell. It's the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things were unto himself. He brings us right to Jesus. I think sometimes as Christians, including the man you're listening to, I think sometimes we need to sit down in a quiet room and reevaluate, Lord, where am I with you? Where's my eyes been? Where's my heart went? How far have I strayed? I went out praying just yesterday evening before it was getting dark. And says, Lord, I just want to come and I just want to turn my thoughts to you of this busy day. I just want to turn my eyes to look at you for a while. Lord, I just want to turn my heart to you and say, it's still yours. Oh, Samuel Rutherford, the Puritan says, since he hath looked at me, mine heart is not my own, for he hath run away to heaven with it. 
And oh, if Christ can captivate your heart afresh and anew and take our hearts and let it be run away to heaven, then our glory is with him and our hearts are with him. And so we look for his coming for he'll bring our hearts with him and he and I and he and you will be reconciled in his wonderful kingdom. Paul says, it's all about him. Paul says the Lord sees the Lord Jesus Christ as the lawgiver who gave the law to Moses and the lawkeeper who kept the law for us. Paul sees him as the prophet's inspiration and the fulfillment of the inspired prophecies. Paul sees Christ as a promised prophet, the mighty Messiah, the wonderful word, the kinsman redeemer, and the Lamb of God, which should take away the sin of the world. Paul could be forgiven if he had quoted Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 9. Listen to this. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Paul, if you had us stood up and quoted that, we would have known you were talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Two times the Lord is called, for example, in the Old Testament, he's called the hope of Israel. In Jeremiah 14, let's turn to it briefly and quickly, if you may, uh, just for a, a little reading. Jeremiah chapter 14. And in verse 8, it says, The hope of Israel, the Savior, they're off in time of trouble. Why shouldest thou be a stranger in the land and as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for the night? Why shouldest thou be as a man astonished, as a mighty man that cannot save? Yet thou, O Lord, art in the midst of us and we are called by thy name. Leave us not. Here the prophet Jeremiah is saying, Lord, we are seeking your salvation. We are seeing what's going on in our society. We are seeing what's going on in our nation. We are seeing the depths of the depravity of the religion in our land. We are looking at it. I'm walking through Belfast and seeing this and that and the other and all these false and heathen gods and them running around with their barkers on as well in the city center of Belfast and going to the river they're going to do. And, says, and I'm seeing it. He says, why use a man that cannot save? Did you not tell us you'd come and save us? And friend, in this new covenant of blood, the everlasting blood of Christ, know what he tells us? I already did, and I already have, and I've already paid that debt. Now turn on to me. Church, brother, sister, if revival doesn't start in here, it won't start in here. If it don't start in here, expect nothing out there. He is called uh, the hope of Israel here, the Savior. And here it speaks of him being the provider of all that we need. Christ is our provider. Jeremiah 17, please. Just a couple of verses. Verse 13 says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth. Because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. We talk about, oh, salvation, trusting in Christ, and you're saved. That's it. It's finished. Done. He's done it all. Amen and amen to that. But listen, friend. He says, heal me too. Here we're looking at Christ as our healer. We're looking at him as our savior. We're looking at him as our provider, the fountain of living waters, the baptizer. Here we're looking at him as the coming king. And when we're looking at this, we're seeing how Christ has done it all, has paid it all, procured it all, and he has given it all to us. Yet the church lies at ease in Zion. And men and women go to a lost eternity. In Acts chapter 28, Acts 28, Paul preaches at Rome and he calls for the chief of the Jews who were at Rome to come together, it says, for this cause, in verse, Acts 28, verse 20, for this cause have I therefore 
call for you and speak with you because that for the whole house of Israel I am bound with this chain. Verse 23, to whom he expounded and testified, notice, the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. Now, you thought I was long-winded, didn't you? I'd love to see Paul coming in and taking a service. He'd have you here from the morning to the evening. And then he goes on into the night and you fall off the balcony and you end up dead on the floor. You thought I was long. Nobody shows them the scriptures. Do you know what the scriptures are by the time we're in Acts 28? The Old Testament. And he brings the Old Testament out. He says, I want to show you Jesus. I want to show you the law. I want to show you Moses. I want to show you the prophets. And it takes a full day. He says, what about this one? And what about that one? He rolls out the scrolls and he finds it. And he says, what about this? And what about that? And here he's here. And here he's there. He says, and you're talking about trying to get into the kingdom another way. And you're looking to go to glory and your own merit. God says, I am your Savior, and I will come. Now, if God came, what makes you and I or anyone else think we can get into the kingdom another way? Paul presents Christ. He preaches Christ and his kingdom. He preaches him as the hope of Israel, and Joel calls him in Joel 3 and 16 the hope of his people. So Paul places through the Old Testament Scriptures, even in Colossae, everywhere he goes, he brings out the Old Testament Scriptures and he shows them Christ. Then he says, now he has come and he's brought grace. Colossians 1 and 23 says, Continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, which was preached. Not another gospel. Not a watered-down gospel. Not a politically correct gospel. But a gospel that was preached straight from the Word, from the Scriptures, the Old Testament. He says, I preached. Paul didn't say, let's turn to the book of Revelation. It wasn't there. He didn't say, let's go Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. They weren't there. He says, let me take you to the book of Genesis, chapter 3 and verse 15, speaks of the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Let me take you and show you Father Abraham. And he speaks of him being a father of many nations. And from that would come Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And from that would come the promised seed of Christ. Let me show you, he says, in this one and that one. Let me take you to the prophecies of David. Psalm 22, let me show you the prophecy of the, cro- the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Let me show you, he says, and take you to Isaiah the prophet and Jeremiah the prophet and Hosea the prophet and Daniel. Let me show you the Christ of God through all of the scriptures saying, I'm coming and I'm going to save my people. I am their hope. My brother, sister, friend, what hope have you outside of Christ? Do we get it? There isn't any none. He says, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Where are you going to go to? What other hope is there? Where are you going to? What do you drift to? What are you going to do? Sediate yourself with the stew of the world you have a fat belly and then another hour or two later you're ready for more and four rounds of bread. Where are you going to go to? Now, none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. Only Christ can satisfy the soul. And only Christ can save the sinner. The word hope, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel is the word El Peace. And El Peace means, listen to this, the expect, expectation of something good. 
Do you see when you're putting your full trust in Christ? Do you see when you're coming, as Paul says, to know him and to, 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 to fellowship with him? Do you see when you're walking with him? You know what you can expect? You have a hope that rests in you of something good. You can expect good things from him in your hard times, in your sad times, in your mournful times. He will bring something good for you. It means hope is el peace expectation of good. It means joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. And it means hope which is based on a hope which depends upon the author and the foundation of whom that hope is in. Now we know Christ is Almighty God. And we know when our hope is based in Him and He is our foundation, then our hope will never, ever make us ashamed. Let me run some of these off and I'll close for you. Romans 8 and 24, we're told we are saved by hope. It's the same word. The word hope here is the same word as el peace. The expectation or a joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation. Expectation of something good. We are saved by hope. Romans 12 and 12, we're rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Romans 15 and 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost in you. It's the Holy Spirit who lives in the the blood-washed believer. It's the Holy Spirit who comes and enters in at the receiving of Christ and his full atoning death on the cross. And he causes us to hope in something that is better than this world can afford. To hope in something greater. To hope in something more precious that this world cannot give unto us. And it's the kingdom of God. Have you a hope living in you? Have you a hope living in you? It's a living hope. I buried two women this week. And both of them died with a living hope. And it is a hope that maketh not ashamed. It's called the hope of salvation in First Thessalonians 5 and 8. Titus 1 and 2 says of the hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Before the world began, God promised salvation. This expectant confidence and expectation. Titus 2 and 13 says, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, where we have a confident and a joyful expectation that Jesus is coming again to receive us. That Jesus is coming again to call our names. That Jesus is coming again and the graves will open and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. That we will be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And this corruptible will put on incorruption. This old mortal will put on immortality. And we'll be forever with the Lord. That's the hope of the gospel. To what else would you move to? Where else would you go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, Peter says. This is more than a, a Mickey learn little story of, of Zacchaeus up a tree waving down at Jesus and he goes and eats his dinner in his house and says, isn't that? Then I have a nice day. Five keys to health, healing and happiness. This is the kingdom of God and the king who is centered on the throne. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, Colossians, don't you listen to this heresy. Don't you listen to those who put doubts in your mind. He says, because they'll come from out of the woodwork. They'll come from out of, out of every hole and every, under every rock. And they'll tell you all manners of heretical things that will take your heart away from Christ. Paul says, now let me tell you about him. It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead body. Listen, and ye are complete in him. Is the head of all principality and power. See, when I think of this hope of this gospel, this joyful expectation, brothers and sisters, I get excited, as you see. I want to jump for joy. I want this to be 
I want, to, I want to pull those pews out and stack them in the middle and let us all run round and round in circles, praising the Lord and giving thanks that he has forgiven us and saved us for all eternity. I want us to run out into the street and wrap every door in Donaconian as far as we can get tonight and tomorrow and the next day, saying, Christ has set me free. I'm unashamed of the gospel. I'm unashamed of the Savior. You're a fool. You're an idiot. An idiot. Standing up there, getting on like that. Going to take a heart attack. Doctor, sir, is worried about your blood pressure. Isn't that right, doctor? You know what? Something death, something glory. <laughs> Do you know what? See, if you were where I was when he saved me, you'd be the same. But where were you when he saved you and why are you not then? For he hath brought me up also out of an horrible pit and from the merry clay and set my feet upon a rock. Establish my goings and put a new song in my mouth. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Every life of ruin, Christ has come to set free. The hope of the gospel is that we have this living hope within us and only Christ and Christ alone can save. I finish with this. Thank you for your attention. I have enough for another two weeks, but I'm going to wrap it up. I'm not going to do another week. Paul says, be not moved away from the hope, the joyful expectation of this good news, this glad tidings. The idea here is uh, that we are to show a real confidence in Christ and in him alone. Our confident expectation, our joyful expectation of good, it's true and it's certain because it rests on Christ and on Christ alone. Puritan Thomas Adams says the hope, that hope is a virgin of clear countenance. Her proper seat is upon the earth. Her proper object is in heaven. Say one more time and close with this. Puritan Thomas Adams says, Hope is a virgin of clear countenance. Her proper seat is upon the earth. Her proper object is in heaven. Here is a word of warning to the unsaved. There's no hope. You know what no, none means? None, no, there's none. No hope outside of Christ. None. None. There's none. To the believer, beware. You may backslide. You may fall away, but where are you falling to? Christian, get your eyes back on him. See, when your heart's full of Jesus, your heart will be full of everything you need. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the joyful Confident expectation that's only good that you'll be in glory. In you, in you. That's the hope of the gospel. And Paul turns the Colossian mind and the Colossian heart back to Christ, the Son of God, the unique one and only Son, the Son of his Father. Turns his heart and mind back, their heart and mind, and he's turning yours tonight. And he's turning mine. When as I've studied this, the Lord has spoken to me. Come suit me. What about this? You want to give me that? I used to be. I love my children, they're my world. I know 
be parents day yours too. When Ellie came along, she didn't really see me much because I was always in Dublin at the working in pastor in the church there, and I just needed a lot of work as well. And I, I stayed with a fella had a house down there, and Ellie hardly knew me. In fact, she cried when I came home. <laughs> Jody, when Jody was born, I was about a bit more, and to be honest, I was a lunatic. First time father, and used to go into the rooms with, <laughs> shouldn't be telling anybody else, with a thermometer to check if the room was warm enough or cold enough to make sure my child was all right in the room. Lunatic. Poor Ellie didn't see me hardly. It was the other way around. And I always had this anxiety that what if anything ever happened to my children? And one day driving past Hillsborough, I'll never forget it, I was talking to Alison about it, and Alison says, Ken, I tell you something. There was a couple of weak things that were complications. She says, I just handed them to the Lord. They're his. The Lord gives and the Lord will take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I have handed them to the Lord, and the Lord has blessed me with my children, given them into his hands. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I hadn't. No, Lord. No, I, I better look after them. It's better I do that, Lord. So driving by Hillsborough, Hollison says, Ken, do you really think you're looking after your children? Am I not a good father? Well, you're a great father. Do you honestly think they're in your hands? Really? Do you really believe that? I thought about it. She says, you need to hand that over. You need to go pray about that. You need to listen to your wife sometimes, brother, you know. And I did. I went and I prayed and I handed my daughters over to the Lord and the burden left me and the joy of the Lord flooded my heart. There was a compartment of my heart that I hadn't given to him that I'd held back and it was festering. <coughs> Brother, sister, please hear this. Don't let it fester. It becomes an open wound. It becomes a putrefying sore. It becomes too heavy, you cannot bear it. Don't let it fester. Give it to God. Leave it with Him and watch Him work. Move not away from the hope of the gospel. God bless you all tonight. Thank you for your turning out. Thank you for your faithfulness to the house especially when others are away. It's great to see so many of you out.